This is Halt the Harm Podcast, and on today's episode, I'm talking with Andy Myers, the campaign coordinator for Working Films. A longtime proponent of connecting film with activism, he's coordinated various national campaigns which leverage the narrative in social issue documentaries to advance the efforts of organizations with shared goals. This is a really interesting conversation that I'm excited to share with you. Uh, and, and I think that you'll take away from it some ideas on how you can start using films in your organizing work. For nearly two decades, Working Films has positioned documentaries to advance social justice and environmental protection. They work with grassroots groups to enhance their programs, extend their reach, and move their missions forward. And they also train and consult filmmakers to strengthen their community engagement. You can find all the links to the things we talked about at halttheharm.net slash podcast. And without further ado, let's jump into this conversation with Andy Myers. Andy Myers, welcome to Halt the Harm Podcast. Great to have you. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to talk about your work with Working Films and also just in general what Working Films is doing. Um, yeah. One of the things that well, at least we have in common right away is that we're both using media. Um, and I'm, I'm just really inspired because I'm, I'm new at this. So we're in a podcast episode or season two. And so <laughs> I'm, uh, I guess I'm, I'm humbled to have you on the show and to learn a bit about what you're doing and why you're doing it. So thanks so much. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited to be able to share more. Um, and I'm equally intrigued and, mystified by the podcast world so um, <laughs> i'm excited to to be on. i'm obsessed with several of them yeah yeah me too I've, I've become a big podcast listener i like i like listening when i'm doing chores or you know uh-huh. commuting or you know there's so many ways where listening is really the best format for me and i just am able to mm-hmm. gain so much from that so i know uh those of you out there listening right now are probably in a similar boat so <laughs> so just for for listeners who haven't heard of working films could you give us a summary just to start out uh, what do you do yeah um so basically and i have to say first because this is always kind of the confusion for folks is so we we do not make films ourselves um despite what's probably a kind of confusing name um but we help grassroots groups um nonprofit organizations um, just activists in general, we help them use film um, to advance their mission. Um, so really thinking of film, um, which at the core of it is storytelling, um, thinking about it as a tool to help with your advocacy, um, not only just to spread education on whatever you're working on, but also to try to reach people um, and bring them into your work. Um, so we see film as really just a powerful tool to not only just educate, but also to either inspire, piss off, whatever it may be, to really turn audience viewers into folks who actually care about whatever it may be that you are working on. Um, and also, it's just a great, it's an empathy builder. Um, so it's, as uh, humans, yeah. it's helpful for us to be able to tell our story to each other. Um, yeah, we, we help activists do that. Um, primarily, it's through organizing events for Basically, we see film as a big tool, so we want to lift whatever barriers may exist. So sometimes that's um, helping to, to 
raise funding to be able to cover venues and any sort of promotional materials that may be needed, um, and then time. So I can put in a lot of time to help organize events, do all the kind of behind-the-scenes logistical work, um, and then also coordinate the communications between everybody involved. Um, so basically our whole thing is, you know, if, if you think film can be a useful tool for you, we want to make sure you're able to do it no matter what your capacity, no matter what resources you may have to your disposal, um, just because we see it as that valuable. We have all these resources now to make videos, put them out there, you know, YouTube, Vimeo, uh, stuff like that. So then you're helping people kind of approach that with more strategy. Yeah. Um, and also, too, I feel like a lot of the content that is being created now, um, especially by grassroots organizations, are short films. Um, and we still see a lot of potential for short films, and we don't think they just have to live online. Um, but we still see those as a pretty valuable tool. Um, so definitely we are, we're excited to be able to talk about the potential for short films just because folks don't normally think of, oh, you know, I can't invite a big you know, audience out to a screening and give them, you know, 20 minutes of film. But, but we're actually really excited about that now, more so than working with feature-length films. Can you share a story about a campaign that used film? Yeah. So we, we initially started working with feature-length films, and we were also helping to support folks um, working on fracking. Um, and I think fracking films are kind of notoriously long. Um, they're really amazing. Like, I love a lot of the really big films on fracking but they're like sometimes two hours or longer. Um, so what we were hearing from a lot of the groups that we support were that, you know, these films are beautiful. We love them. Um, we, we are grateful, you know, to the filmmakers for making them and being able to use them. But, you know, we have literally no time to talk after the film was over because, you know, if it's like a Tuesday night, if your film screening is at seven, you know, it's like totally 930 know. by the time. <laughs> yeah. Totally been and there. I mean, and for us, yeah, and we, we obviously think of film as, as a really important tool, but really it's it's kind of just the excuse to get folks in the room and to be motivated to get into a deeper conversation after. So for us, it's really, the really magical moment is what happens when the lights turn back on, you know, and they're like, okay, cool. Now we're here together. We all just watched this. Right, um, right. It's a low barrier to entry too. Like you're showing up to watch a film, so yeah. it's not, the the stakes aren't high. It's not yeah. like coming to a meeting. Right, exactly. It's just, you know, it's not coming to a meeting or a lecture. It's, it's, we sell it as entertainment. <laughs> People don't right. know that they're actually being I, tricked. And they're think, learning about these issues. And I, think there's this, uh, I think there's this barrier to entry with a lot of organizing where people don't want to, maybe I'm wrong, but mm -hmm. it's this dynamic where you walk into um, an event and you take a seat and then the row starts to fill in and then you're trapped and then somebody shuts the door behind behind you and they're like, you're here for the next like indefinite amount of time and getting up is really rude. Everybody's going to turn and look at you if you get up. And that's just such an awkward situation. And, and it's immediately alleviated when somebody, you know, introduces the agenda for the evening and they say exactly mm -hmm. what's going to happen and when there's going to be breaks and they really stick to it. I feel like sticking to it like really creates that space of um yeah comfort where people are able to really like be more present because they're not wondering like when's this gonna end when... right so it sounds like it's sort of yeah, present to that too now especially at the current moment we're in it feels like there's lots of new people 
um, coming into campaigns or people who may be interested on these issues for the first time um, ever or in a long time. Um, so, yeah, I definitely see this as taking down at least one barrier um, or softening some of the intimidation that might that might come up with folks who are who are engaging with new groups of people. Um, yeah. But yeah, so um, we we started to hear a lot of that from some of the groups we work with, just the idea that there's the films weren't leaving a lot of time for kind of the, the real important part, which is the, the Q&A to kind of get closer and localize the issue, um, as well as time for any actions. So so what do you then do with the people who are interested? Like, is there enough time to even get their email? Or, or are they already gone when the lights turned up because it's 10 p.m. on a Tuesday? Um, so we were thinking about this right at the same time. So I'm based in North Carolina, um, and it was in 2014, and we had the Dan River coal ash spill, um, which is one of the largest coal ash spills in history um, through the Dan River in North Carolina. Um, and so a lot of folks were just, and me included, I was like, what even is coal ash? Like, I've never heard of this. Um, the folks probably know at this point, but basically it's just what's left over when coal um, has been burned. So we figured this would be a great opportunity to start to try out some of our ideas around short films. Um, so we curated a selection of short films called Coal Ash Stories. Um, and so those were basically short films that not only talked about coal ash and its effects and sort of the policy at play, but also what some of the groups, including some of the partners in North Carolina, what they were doing to fight back. Um, and so that curation was 30 minutes total. And then um, we were having events that were anywhere from 90 minutes to two hours. So the real bulk of the event was actually this, the discussion afterwards. Um, and so that's, that's sort of the first example. And then we recreated that same model with, with um, fracking stories. Um, and then we did one on offshore drilling called shore stories. I'm not sure if you notice a pattern here, but we're not very good at naming things. Um, They're clever, that's for sure. We did, yeah, right? <laughs> Short stories. stories. We did, though, get a little more clever with our You Are Here project, um, which we did with the Sane Energy project, um, though we can't take much credit because we really just named it after their really amazing uh, You Are Here map, um, which for for New Yorkers and I believe in Pennsylvania as well, um, it, it's this really amazing interactive map where you can click your town and you can see the different infrastructure projects that are near you as well as the organizations that are that are fighting those so it's a really great way to to kind of see how you can get involved um and so for that project we curated some films again but mostly focused on things like bomb trains and pipelines um and fracking kind of kind of a you name it because that campaign was really geared towards infrastructure generally um Right. Yeah. Right. Can you tell us a bit about how you got involved with working with media? Yeah. Um, so when I was, I went to um, a school in Wilmington, North Carolina, and I was a part of an environmental organization. And I really used most of my time there. My organizing was really just around hosting film screenings. So I would host a screening once or twice a semester. And that was kind of really just my role in the organization. Um, so I saw, saw a lot of power behind that. Um, and really what sparked my interest was the movie Bowling for Columbine, actually, which I know it's kind of a cliche answer to say, oh, Michael Moore, like, 
you know, for somebody who works with documentaries all the time, but <laughs> that was literally the film I saw it. And I was like, Oh, you know, two hours ago I had, I did not know anything about gun rights. I did not care about the issue whatsoever. Um, I had no idea that that was possible. Like you could watch a film and you could, it could make you feel something. I just hadn't experienced that before. Um, so I kind of instantly was like, this is, this is something, this is a powerful tool. Um, and then sort of serendipitously working films is just headquartered in Wilmington. Um, so after school, uh, I applied there because basically I, I was seeing the power of film as a student um, hosting film screenings with the environmental organization I was working with. So then mm -hmm. I, I, I decided that it would be great to, to see how far film could go as a tool. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I mean, you're an example then of why and how that works documentaries that attract people that are interesting and that create feeling that make you understand an issue better and want to get more involved in social action. And I think, and I was, you know, I was watching it at home. This was before Netflix, but, but, you know, I imagine now people are still experiencing that even if they are just at home watching mm -hmm. a film or maybe even at a regular movie theater. Um, but what I'm really excited about, too, is, is to, you know, I always tell people if I'm at a screening, like, you know, make sure you stay for when the film is over. We don't want you to just go home thinking, oh, wow, cool. Things are terrible. Like, awesome. You know, we want we want you to really stay and find out what can actually be done about the issue. Um, yeah. So I really like that now we're, we're thinking about all the different ways that you can take this tool, which really at the heart of it is just storytelling. Um, right. But how you take storytelling and use it in a way that's intentional and um, giving you the best shot at making sure you're reaching folks in a way that will um, not only engage them, but make sure they continue to seek you out and find ways they can support your work. I definitely know that feeling. Of, uh, sometimes I feel afraid to watch documentaries because of that. Yeah. When I'm experiencing something new or I'm I'm feeling challenged in a new way, if there's no way to get involved or to plug in or even just connect with another person, like I don't always want to watch documentaries by myself either. It's for the same reason. I want to process it. I want to, I want to know that somebody else had the same experience or saw the same, you just had the, had a similar understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think oftentimes the answer to that problem is literally just like a website Right. Like the last clip you see, it's like, go to this website to find out more, you know, and, and, and then also too, filmmakers don't even take advantage of that sometimes. And sometimes I've seen films where it's like, sign this pledge to commit to, you know, stop uh -huh. being racism or whatever it may be. And it's like okay, something that's really big. Specific, that's not, yeah. So yeah. I think really trying to narrow in on what are the specific actions that you can take um, right then and there. And that is hard for a filmmaker a hard job for them since since that looks different depending on where you live um but in all of our work we we try to find partners both at the state level and the local level that can really um narrow in on what are the ways that um the issue can be addressed locally i didn't think we were going to talk about this but i'm excited that we're talking about the strategy of using films in organizing because i think that's really relevant to so many people listening and just to the the network and because a lot of what we're doing is we're 
connecting with each other and we're talking shop in a way about um, our campaigns, about how to be more effective. And so mm -hmm. I'd love to dive into that a little bit more since you have experience with that. Like, what advice would you give someone who wants to start a film series and want, you know, as a way yeah. to get people involved in their work? Like, how, how would they, how could they think about, like, what are things, what are ways that we could think about that? Or actually, <laughs> what are some of the opportunities that you see people missing oftentimes when, when they use that as a tool? Yeah. So I think one of the, one of the first things people might miss is a, a real solid opportunity to use the film screening itself as a way to, um, bring in other stakeholders that they might not normally get a chance to work with. I think not only is film a, a sort of softer entry point for the film goer, um, it's also a really low risk entry point for organizers. Um, and it's also a great opportunity for groups who don't normally get to work together to have a very specific, a very tangible thing with a clear beginning and end that they can work on together. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think a lot of times folks are like, oh, cool, I can do this film screening. And we've done one before, so we can handle it. We're good. I'm like, you know, you might be able to handle it, but why not invite other stakeholders or other groups in the community that, you know, while this might be a little bit outside their mission, maybe it's at least a good opportunity for them to bring their constituents. Um, and also, of course, for y'all to just have a chance to work together. Um, so that's usually the first thing that I try to suggest to people. Um, and that's something that's usually missed by uh, organizations that may have already worked with film a lot. I've totally, um, I've totally done that. I've totally missed that. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you've said that because I, th I think that, uh, yeah, it's, it's normal to put together an event and just look for an audience or to, you know, contact mm -hmm. the people that already kind of follow what, what we're doing with our campaign and not necessarily, yeah, reaching out to other stakeholders. I'm I'm so glad you pointed that out as an opportunity. Yeah, and and it's been so basically any time we work on a campaign, um, since I'm I live in North Carolina, and because there's no shortage of problems in North Carolina, we get to try out everything here first. Basically, <laughs> you know, we get to whether it's offshore drilling, coal ash fracking, uh, gerrymandering, kind of a you name it. We've been able to pilot initial efforts here. Um, so it's really been great to watch those relationships form and get stronger of different groups in different cities who may have worked together for the first time a few years ago, who've now hosted several events together. Um, so it's really cool to see that network kind of um, get strengthened, even just with hosting a film screening every six months or so. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been great to watch that. Um, and yeah, and, and I think it it's helpful for two for other reasons too because. Um, film is supposed to be this opportunity to go beyond the choir a little bit. So the more, the more groups that can co-host the larger your, your reach can be. Um, so yeah. Cause yeah, those groups will invite, will invite people and publicize mm -hmm. as co-hosts. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So folks who might not, you know, if, if you're, you're working with a group that only does voter engagement, they're, you know, they're, members might be interested in your work, but have never had a chance to experience it um, or be introduced to the work you're doing. Mm -hmm. So that's really the biggest thing I see. Um, 
and then also I think making sure that there's a couple of concrete asks at the end of the screening um, is really helpful. Um, I see two things. Usually either organization has zero asks, and it's really just like um, make sure we get your email, you know, but there's not, there's not like a, a specific next step. Or they give someone like 10 different things. <laughs> so they're kind of just like overwhelming the audience members with, you know, this is next week and then sign this petition and this one and then, you know, um, right. this is tomorrow. And and I think we try to get it to around three or so. But we're really just trying to be conscious of giving folks a concrete next step and ideally even um, another time and place for a second event, whether it's a protest or another film screening or a meeting. Um, really just a, a tangible location and meeting time um, so that if folks were touched by the issue and the Q&A and they do want to get involved, they can easily make that next step. Nice. Um, yeah. So just to summarize, hosting film screening, it can be an effective way to organize because it's low barrier to entry. It's a, a single event, so it has a clear start and finish. You can invite other organizations, um, stakeholders to co-host sort of goes a little bit beyond just the choir, like who you already know. Um, and then by having some discussion and, and having a focused next step for people that are attending the event um, as a way to provide some opportunities for the people that are there who've just had that experience together and, um, and it also, by being focused, it's not it's not overwhelming people. It's it's another low barrier to entry step in getting more involved with with mm-hmm. the with the work. Yeah, yeah. And then I think you know, if, in thinking of the film screening as sort of the first rung on an engagement ladder, you know, it's, it's, that's that's super. That's the low rung, and then you can kind of move people up the ladder as as they continue working with you. Um, with working films, you mentioned uh, curating. Can you explain a little bit about how that works? So, so I so the organization Working Films is about twenty years or nearly twenty years old, um, and a lot of our history was was more filmmaker centric. So, we have a really large network of documentary filmmakers that we've worked with in the past. Um, so, normally when we when we make the call to try to do a curation will put out a big call for media, sort of like a film festival might do, um, to just the, the, our big network of filmmakers. Um, and the I would say the documentary world is sort of insular, so it's pretty fairly easy to reach everyone <laughs> with an email, um, or at least get to the right channels to spread the news that there is a call for media. Um, and then we do a lot of just research on our own by talking to folks that are in the movement because um, oftentimes a lot of people who organize are already using some of this media um, and then also just doing different uh, searches online. Um, so we put out a call and we create that call with some of our partners, uh, whatever the project may be. Um, so if you are here, um, I worked with folks at the Sand Energy Project to kind of think about the different types of films we wanted to see. Um, so you know, what, what specifically did we want the film to touch on? Um, and so once we got those submissions, um, we reviewed them with our partners to make the selection. 
and then we went forward and we tried to keep the curation between 30 and 45 minutes. Um, again, it's really just to make sure that we're leaving plenty of time for the kind of the deeper dive after the film screening. Um, because oftentimes, you know, the film isn't necessarily about this very specific issue that you're working on and maybe it's not about the same date that you're in. So we want to make sure there's lots of time for folks to um, make those connections between what's going on in their community and what's on screen. Um, so for that reason, we try to keep the content relatively short. Um, and then two, that sort of, it kind of opens up a new world for short films because while, you know, a short film might be five minutes, maybe that wouldn't make sense to screen um, for an audience on its own. But when you put a curation together, then you have three or four films that tell different parts of the story. So folks can have a fuller sense of, of, uh, of what the issue is about. Um, can you tell us more yeah. about the You Are Here um, campaign? I know it's a part of it is an interactive online map, which also includes mm-hmm. some of the films that you're talking about. Um, yes, yeah, so um, what I, so Kim Bratchik with Sane Energy Project, so they've been working on the You Are Him, the You Are Here map um, long before I, I met them, um, and so we put together this film curation to support their work. Um, and when we were putting together this curation, this was at a time when they were trying to include stories on the map. Because um, right now, or at the time rather, when you went to the map, you would find stories about the actual infrastructure itself, whether it was a compression station or a storage facility, um, you know, or a pipeline. But now the map is populated with stories from different community members as well as the organizations that are on the ground working to stop the infrastructure. Um, So we went on the road with this film tour to help gather some of those stories. And then also it was um, another opportunity for some of the local groups that we partnered with to be able to host this event and invite the public um, and try to get people who weren't already engaged in this fight to help their screening or to help their efforts. It's really an incredible project. I'm looking at it now. And to see a map of operational pipelines, of compressor stations, of proposed pipelines, power plants, waste treatment and disposal, storage and support, other facilities, I mean, and and most importantly, victories. It, you know, oftentimes we don't see these maps that have infrastructure and industry activity and then also see victories. And so, yeah, what might be a proposed yeah, pipeline we were... would, you know, go from one color to show that it's proposed and then mm-hmm. switch to another color to show a victory of, of actually defeating it. Yeah, it's a, it's a really brilliant project. Um, and yeah, that's all, all same energy project. And I believe they work with Brack Tracker Alliance as well Yeah, um, to help make that. Um, yeah, they were just all around amazing people and their, their map was was. Just, yeah, it's just a brilliant idea. So, so we were excited to be able to help them think about how film could help their efforts with the map. Because uh, yeah, and I, and I would encourage anyone listening to check it out. Um, I think currently the focus is the New York, Pennsylvania, but um, yeah, yeah, it's just a great resource. Well, I'll make sure to put this in the show notes, and folks can can find it there. But you can also just go to uh, sanenergyproject.org. 
and uh, you can find the you are here project there yeah it's it's um it's it's awesome um yeah um and uh what was also really interesting about working on that film tour was um at least for folks in the south you know we think of new york as oh they banned fracking like what could you be doing there? But, you know, despite having that band, it's, you know, there are pipelines crisscrossed throughout the state. There are bomb trains, which I didn't even know about until working on this curation and then compressor stations and really kind of a, you name it situation. Um, So so the map is helpful for folks who think, Oh, we already, we banned fracking. That's not an issue here. Like when you look at the map, it's like, Oh, well, what are all those dots that are spread everywhere? Um, so yeah, really great organization, really great people. Um, yeah. So the type of work that you're doing requires a lot of collaboration with different groups and different projects. Um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about how you do that and what you've learned from your experience. So I think the main thing that that we just try to always recognize is that as working films, we are like, we're not experts on any of this whatsoever at all. Like we, we, we know nothing. (laughs) It's like how I always try to comment this work with. Um, And so what we do because of that is we, we partner with organizations and we really let their missions and, and their expertise drive everything we do. Um, So like I said, with the curations, we work with our partners to decide what kind of films we're looking for. Um, what are the what are the sub issues around fracking, for example, that are important to highlight with this media? Um, and then once we have a curation, where what are the priority cities that we should host events in? And then what are the groups locally that can then run with those events? And then we then we work with the local organizations and we kind of have the same conversation. You know, they are the local experts on the ground. So what's the target audience for the screening? So based on that audience, what kind of venue do we, we think we want to host this in? Um, what are the channels of communication that we should be leveraging to make sure we're reaching that audience locally? Um, so really from like the big picture, picking the films all the way to the deciding the venue um, or, or, you know, which, which reporter should I make sure I call all day long and talk all day long to make sure they get back to me. <laughs> so from, from that whole, from the top to the bottom, to every single little detail, we really try to let our partners lead those efforts um, and really just kind of working from what are the goals for the screenings, um, what are we hoping to accomplish with them, and then kind of working backwards based on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we really just try to help our partners think about, you know, what are we trying to, what's our goal here? What are we trying to use the screening to actually accomplish? What do we want people to leave with? What kind of people do we want to be there um, so really just kind of asking all those questions because we, 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 we recognize that we are not the experts on any of this, um, so that we need to make sure that if this work is going to be useful and help make an impact, um, that, that we're talking to the right people from the beginning. Mm-hmm. What's the ideal organization or group? Like who, who do you best serve? I guess we're helpful with groups that don't have a whole lot of capacity simply because I often just tell myself or I tell partners that they can consider me um, like an extra staff member for the time that we're going to be working together. Um, Cause 
you know, while they might not have any time, I can, I'll, I'll be able to spend time calling venues all day and making a press release and flyers and an e-blast and a Facebook event and sort of all the kind of boring logistical behind the scenes stuff. Uh-huh. Um, so I guess our ideal partners are folks that see the value in using film um, and, and understand like the power of storytelling and the power of media and arts and culture. Um, but they might not necessarily have the time and resources to be able to um, work with those mediums. What's the process then of, of contacting you to collaborate? So right now we are, well, I guess for, for this network, um, the, the probably the most appropriate uh, opportunity is uh, this new film called Water Warriors, uh, which is made by Michael Primo. Um, and this is really great for a variety of reasons, but um, what I love about it is it's actually about a win um, against the gas industry. Um, and it's a 22 minute short. Um, basically just the short story is a Texas based gas company um, tried to do some exploratory. Uh, it's the, they use the thumper truck. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're familiar. It's like a, yeah. So they use thumper trucks um, in New Brunswick, Canada to try to look for gas um, in this multiracial, um, multicultural coalition of individuals and groups um, fought back in a variety of ways from, you know, doing like petitions outside grocery stores to an encampment and lighting tires on fire. It's really sort of a all of the above approach model. Um, and, and it's a win. So we're excited to be able to see the film being used by folks um, to talk about ways that, uh, to talk about all the different ways that resistance can look. And, and to recognize that, you know, there's not always one right answer, but there's lots of different ways that you can employ tactics and strategies. Um, so we are using the film currently in North Carolina to help support opposition to the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. Um, and really what we're trying to do is just use the film as, a, as an opportunity to have deeper conversations about um, what are the different um, tactics, whether it's direct action um, or, you know, just petitions. Um, so what are the different tactics and what resources would be needed um, to help implement those? Um, and then we are, yeah, just reaching out to different folks working on pipelines or fracking or any sort of resistance projects um, and connecting them with the filmmaker, Michael Primo, to see if, if they might be able to use the film. Um, and yeah, while the film is about fracking and the gas industry, we really see it as a film about resistance and a film to be used in, in those conversations. So you're partnering both with the filmmaker and organizations that would want to host it and then acting yeah, as so a we, service to sort of help help them structure those events and get the most out of it. Right, yeah. And primarily we're working on the North Carolina screenings. Right. Um, but for everywhere else, we're, we're connecting individuals to Michael, uh, the filmmaker, um, just because we, we love Michael Primo and we really respect his analysis and filmmaking. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that folks are aware of this film as a resource. Um, and for anybody who's interested actually in using Water Warriors, um, besides contacting me, they can find out more. Um, can, can I give an email, Ryan? Yeah, totally. 
or okay, it's um at info at storyline dot media. Um, awesome. So info at storyline dot media. I'll add that to the show notes too. Yeah. <laughs> As, well, as we're going, I'm making a list. <laughs> cool. Because a, a big part of what we're doing is network building. It's a Halt the Harm network. Mm-hmm. And we have our, our directory and we have services and things like that. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about your perspective on networks because clearly you, you, use, you have... Clearly, network building is part of what you're doing at Working Films. You need to keep track of opportunities and people that you've met and organizations that exist that you could reach out to or that you could support and connect with each other. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how you see networks and how to use them? Networks are great for a variety of reasons. Um, Particularly in this area, um, there's lots of folks who are doing lots of different things. Um, and so it's great to be able to have lots of examples of uh, solutions or struggles for solutions even, and lots of different examples of resistance and what that can look like. Um, so not only is there really no need to reinvent the wheel, but there's just lots of great examples of people doing the work right now. Um, so I think being able to be in a network and have those tools right at your disposal is, is a wonderful thing. Um, and then also everybody that's connected to the network and being able to brainstorm and bounce ideas off of each other. Um, and then for us, it's like it's at, on the local level and at the statewide level for us with all of our North Carolina work, for example, um, having this network of folks who are used to using film. Now when we do uh, different film tours around the state, it's, it's a lot easier and some of these relationships are already in place um, and folks are now just, they're used to using the media and we can really just take it a little further. Um, so that's really great to have that network in place here. Um, and then of course, I think all of the, the gatherings like the, the E3C summit and some of even just online gatherings, it's great to kind of go beyond just your local community, but look at what other communities are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so what else is, is going on with Working Films? Is there anything coming up that you want to get out there? Um, yeah, uh, kind of a, a, a smorgasbord of, of, of things right now, which might demonstrate kind of the, the issues that we are working on. Um, we're doing a tour in Maine of a film called Sacred Cod which is about uh, the collapse of the cod fishery in Maine. So folks are in Maine, um, definitely come out to some of those screenings. And then we are working on a tour in Missouri of a film called Lindy Lou, Juror Number 2, um, which is all about the death penalty. Um, and then that's in Missouri. Um, and then for folks in Virginia, we're showing the film Democracy for Sale, which is, uh, it actually stars Zach Galpinakis, um randomly who is, uh, he's from North Carolina. So it's a film all about sort of state politics and and how money politics can really have an impact at the state level. Um, so we're excited to be doing some screenings in Virginia because Virginia and North Carolina have a lot in common. Um, it's kind of interesting, all the different parallels uh, between the two states. Um, 
yeah, so those are sort of the most immediate things that we have right now. Are these films that people who aren't able to, you know, they're not in the right place at the right time to catch the tour, are they able to find them? Yeah, um, and I believe, too, so with uh, Democracy for Sale, um, so with that film, we're still um, fielding requests outside of the states we work in. So if you're not, if you'd like to show the film, um, definitely email me, um, no matter where you are. And then otherwise, I believe that one is online on Amazon, maybe. So behind a, a bit of a paywall there. But um, I, I'm trying to think. I think that's where it is now. But they are still doing, I believe, free screenings until the end of October. Um, and then Lindy Luger, number two. I'm not actually sure where that film is right now. And for Sacred Cod, both those films have, I think, either are still on or just wrapped up their film festival um, runs. So I'm not sure yet where those exist. But uh, but definitely um, email Storyline if you want to get in touch about using Water Warriors and email us if you'd like to get in touch about um, Democracy for Sale, which is the Zach Galifianakis documentary on state-level politics. And what's the best way to stay connected with working films? Yeah, um, so I believe, I should check right now, actually, if you go onto our website, yes, you can sign up for our newsletter, um, and then we're on Facebook, too, and and we're trying to get better about updating all the things, so um, that's definitely probably the best way to stay in the loop. Cool. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Ryan, for for having me on here to talk about using film. Um, And yeah, if folks have questions generally about the work i'm happy to talk with anybody and if somebody has advice about hosting their their own film screening no matter what film it is they can just hit you up yeah i'm talking about <laughs> <laughs> thanks again ryan for for yeah having me on and and helping to spread the the message of using film and art i think a lot of times people and to underestimate the power that arts and culture can have in this work. So I really appreciate um, you having that understanding and also trying to spread it to more people. I'm glad you were able to come on the show. So yeah, thanks Andy so much for coming on Halt the Harm podcast. Sounds good. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks again, Ray. That was Andy Myers from Working Films. You can find out more information at workingfilms.org, and you can get links to all the things that we mentioned in the show notes for this episode at halttheharm.net slash podcast. This podcast is a project of halttheharm.net, a website and resource that connects you with leaders, activists, researchers, economists, legal experts, and funders to protect your community from oil and gas industry. Halt the Harm is a network of leaders who are taking action, sharing resources and information, and supporting each other's campaigns. Find out more at halttheharm.net. The soundtrack for Halt the Harm podcast is One of These Days by Elon Jewell from her album Sea of Tears. This is recorded, produced, and published by myself, Ryan Clover, in the studios of WRFI, Watkins Glen, Ithaca.